Welcome to this bonus episode of the Iker Hadi. For our October interview with Koen van Ham, we traveled all the way to Eindhoven to interview him at his studio. And luckily for us, the Dutch Design Week was also happening right then. So together with our recording equipment, we went to different buildings all around the city and tried to interview a lot of cool designers over there. So for this episode, we've selected four fragments of the whole shitload we've recorded and that we think are really inspiring. So we hope you enjoy them too. Small note to the side, the interviews are recorded in a busy building uh, with the whole Dutch Design Week happening around us. So pardon us for the background noise. The first person you'll be hearing is Katie. She had her stand in the Klokgebouw in Eindhoven where there were a lot of designers could be found in the Dutch Design Week. And she designed miniature landscapes to mimic real nature parks in the Netherlands in order to promote the discussion about the man-made nature in the Netherlands and to the extent uh, all over the world. To sketch a picture a little bit, uh, she had a really nice stand with a lot of like uh, wooden tables uh, and smaller miniatures of animals, uh, trees, bushes, uh, water, uh, dune landscapes, uh, wetlands, wind landscapes, uh, everything which can be found in the Netherlands. Yeah, so have a listen. Enjoy. Sure. Yeah, so with this project, I was um, really interested in looking at the messy relationship between humans and non-humans within the context of nature parks, because they're kind of paradoxical spaces where humans will go to escape the city, to escape normal life and feel like kind of recreation spaces, Yeah. where also you get you're really happy when you don't see another person. <laughs> yeah, especially in the Netherlands, like all, yeah. all nature is engineered. Right, yeah, so I was really interested in that aspect as well because coming from the US, uh, our relationship with national parks is really different, but I would say that they're also extremely managed and man-made spaces. Uh, the illusion is just a little bit better. <laughs> yeah. So I was interested in looking at Dutch nature parks um, because the land itself is man-made and also how a lot of times kind of the aesthetic of wilderness um, and pure nature is engineered, but also how that aesthetic can hide and flatten um, more complex histories. Yeah. So I took three different uh, Dutch nature parks. This one is Het Verdrunkenland van Saftinga. It's um, near Belgium. Uh, oh yeah, it's in Zeeland. Uh, right, yeah, in yeah. Zeeland. Um, this one is Tienhementa. It's uh, just south of Rotterdam and it's an artificial island. Mm -hmm. And then this one is the dunes north of The Hague, um, where I was living when I made yeah. this project. Around Scheveningen. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, like yeah. Vassenaar, I think. Um, it's called Kaifuk and Birlap, and it's the part of the park that you have to pay to walk through. Yeah. Um, but there's no trails, so it's like the wild, the it's wild, wild dunes. So. Yeah. Um, and I think that I was mostly interested in doing this project because for me, I also had a lot of uh, romantic ideals of wilderness in myself growing up in the U.S. And it wasn't necessarily to point out that everything is man-made because everyone here knows that. Um, I think it's more interesting to look at these issues here in the Netherlands because the myth of wilderness shouldn't really exist. Yeah. Um, but we still try to recreate it in a lot of ways. Yeah. And I'm not saying that's wrong or nature shouldn't be managed. It's just like, how much should we manage? And that's... Uh, what I decided to explore yeah. through this it's also project. a large debate as well with the whole uh, how's it called again uh, in the Flevopolder 
Oh, de... Oostvaders Plassen. Uh, Oostvaders Plassen, ja. Yeah, yeah. how, how much do you need to manage that with uh, exactly. the horses which are there, which, yeah, there's not enough food, basically. Yeah, and what's interesting about those horses, I also have them in my um, my second landscape. Oh, yeah. Um, so each landscape is also a, a five-minute story that I explore in the video. The horses are actually from Poland, and they were genetically engineered to resemble, like, an ancient breed of horse. Yeah. Um, And so now they don't even look like the horses that they were supposed to resemble um, in appearance or DNA, but the idea is there, like they're sort of wild looking. Wild, so wild horses between. Right, like the horses <laughs> and the cows don't look like the type you would see on a farm. So yeah. when you enter into this landscape, you're like, oh, I'm, I'm somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, but there are a lot of in those initiatives, right? Yeah. Uh, to bring back like uh, old horses, but also like the auroch, yeah. uh, the old cows. And, yeah, uh, yeah. A woolly mammoth as well. Right, yeah, and what's interesting about those projects is that it kind of speaks to, to our involvement with nature. Like, do we have a responsibility to bring them back and in what context as well? Like, the horses were funded by the Polish state, but the Orak, um, the heck cattle that are meant to resemble the Orak, was actually a project by Nazi Germany. Um, because yeah. they were considered the most pure cow. So that's also like bringing up a lot of problematic issues within, yeah, our human society as well. Like, what you know, what kind of animals should we bring back and why are we yeah. doing this? Yeah, especially like with the woolly mammoths, mm -hmm. we, we, like they died because of global warming yeah, and the yeah. global warming, so where right, are they going like to live? What kind of world do they yeah. come back yeah. into as well? Um, so yeah, I think I was just really interested in the messiness and also looking at it as a foreigner, looking at it as someone who's not an expert in conservation. I think it's really important that people have a place where they can just talk about these things yeah. and feel comfortable even if they don't have an expertise. So uh, my video is a speculative fiction, but it starts from real events and real uh, kind of issues face facing these landscapes. Yeah. But I, it's supposed to be absurd, it's supposed to be funny, and I hope that that gives more of a feeling yeah. of people who aren't experts can come and like say, especially local people, yeah. can have a say in what happens with so these landscapes. So like more of a conversation piece in yeah. that case then? Yeah. Because on the I sign so. uh, I read like, uh, like those situations can will be played out by experts, so... Mm -hmm. And then the expert being quotation marks. Uh, yeah. So I, I, are you then the expert or like no, different no. <laughs> experts from different kind of uh, expertises like wildlife, zoology, maybe we're looking at those pieces to fill yeah. in the gaps, so to speak? Or yeah, so I, when I first started this project and throughout the process, I did consult a lot of kind of experts in different fields. Um, I also talked to some students some PhD students at TU Delft working with the water lab because that's also a model of nature, um, modeling what happens to the landscape. So I was definitely interested in getting a lot of different opinions, but in my video I decided to make kind of a hyperbole, like a very extreme version yeah. of management, and I decided to place it after this new nature initiative in the Netherlands. Okay, like what's next? Now we have the landscape lab, we build the landscapes, we test out anything that could go wrong. Um, which is also kind of a thing with scenarios, like preparing yeah. for anything, but of course we can. Yeah. So the expert character has a very strong opinion. I just wanted to have a reaction to that, and it's definitely not how I see these issues. It's just kind of one very strong perspective. Yeah. But for me, it was a way of working through the messiness and feeling very in between. I thought, okay, this character has a very strong opinion, then that is a bit easier to react to and talk about. Yeah, exactly. It's like yeah. a... 
showing extremes and then being exactly. it's easy to learn and being more new and stuff. Right. I also look, looking because I built a whole new mm -hmm. set of islands, of course, in the Marca Meer. Yeah. Uh, are you also looking at that with a certain perspective? Uh, do you mean the Marca Vada? Yeah, Marca Vada, yeah. Yeah, actually, my first model <laughs> was of the Marca Vada, a section of that, and that's the first time I also experimented a bit with this like miniaturization and filming. Yeah. And I think in the end, that video is quite critical and it comes off almost sarcastic. So that wasn't quite where I wanted to go with the humor. Like, I think it was sort of a test for this project then. I think I got closer to the using humor as a tool for conversation yeah. uh, and less for just critique. Um, but I am very interested in that space as well. Yeah, <laughs> that's close to where I live. So it's like... Yeah. I'm really interested in how it will play out because they made of them, yeah. of course, because to like, breathe more life into the lake, which right. was, was literally dying. Yeah. But yeah, uh, if it works or not, no clue. Yeah, and it's quite close geographically to the Osvaldos Plaza as well. So yeah. you have this very nearby history that is very uh, conflicted history as yeah. well of um, when humans try to like instigate nature, yeah. kind of. Yeah, it's all really interesting. I mean, I think there's a lot of these things going on in the, in the Netherlands that are worth uh, exploring more. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, thank you very much for yeah, the explanation. Yeah, yeah. Can you also introduce yourself? Oh, sure, yeah. Um, so my name is Katie Pelican Boschel, and uh, this is my project Landscape Lab. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah. Next up, we talk to Maastricht Art Institute presenter. She is presenting one of their graduated students named Max Decker's project. Everybody is trying to find a way to save Earth and design for sustainability. Now Max Deke has made his own statement against consumerism. Let's listen. Hi. <laughs> so if you could give us a little introduction about the exhibition yeah. and the institute. Sure. Yeah. Okay. First of all, this is the stand of the Maastricht Institute of Art. And yeah. the work which is showing is from Max Decker. He is a graduate from last year. He's from the design department. Max uh, wants to make a statement against consumerism uh, with his graduation project. During his study he always made kind of social design already. He was really thinking a lot about his position as a designer. And with this project he also questions actually his position as a designer. Should he go on designing and design? Yeah. Yeah, because more design means more selling. <laughs> so his statement is that when we don't buy anymore, when we don't consume anymore, then we will save the world. So actually we will save the world with nothing. <laughs> so yeah. that's his statement. And yeah, he has to communicate his story actually with, with a design. He designed boxes, he designed the concept actually, also with kind of store, storage room yeah. with all the boxes in it. And actually, it's it's not just nothing. It still is, again, a designed product, actually. Another person we saw at the Dutch Design Week uh, is one of our fellow students at the University of Twente, Naomi. Yeah, Naomi has designed uh, a toy for children, Maatje, that lets children discover gold themselves and uh, yeah, create a toy themselves using different... Uh, different materials like cardboard and plastic uh, so the sound that you'll hear in the background as well during this interview is uh, children playing with those toys at the stand themselves so don't let them distract you it's uh we couldn't help it <laughs> but enjoy so hi i'm naomi van Slade, and together with andries weidenveen uh yeah we did this project and we're two students from industrial design engineering at the university of Twente. 
And the project that we did is called Maatje. And before I explain more, I'll tell a little bit more of the background. So uh, we did this project for the course Scenario-Based Product Design. And for that course, we had to design a gender-neutral, sustainable, open-ended play toy for children. And uh, we designed with the target group. So we chose to design with children on a care farm. And uh, those children, uh, we did research with them, we interviewed them, and we had them make some drawings about their dreams and what they, their aspirations and what their favorite activity, for example, is at the care farm. And then we analyzed that, and from there we concluded that they have some difficulties in expressing their social and emotional needs, and there's this yeah, need for some kind of buddy. And from that, we designed an activity where yeah, we basically start a conversation with the children. What is a buddy and what can it be for you? Yeah. And from there, um, yeah, the children have all kind of crafting materials. Yeah, you cannot see it, but we designed 3D printed screws and cardboard boxes. And it makes it very easy for children to start exploring and uh, attaching different shapes and building blocks uh, without any goal. Yeah and let the children make their own goal. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I can tell you a little bit about the results. We tested it three times, mm -hmm. and you saw that one time, yeah, a kid made something that could open up and he could put some notes inside because that's what he just, yeah, he wants to keep his secret somewhere. Or a child made something with giant ears because she really wanted to whisper secrets to it. And uh, we also did a session at the care farm where the dog died not too long ago. And then uh -huh. you saw that a lot of children made the dog, even though yeah, they already had some closure activities for the dog. So it was interesting to see that it was yeah. still very much on the children's mind. So yeah, and yeah. after the activity itself, we also have the children present their work either to yeah, the whole group or only the caretaker, depending on uh, what they can handle to get some insights in yeah. their <laughs> needs. Yeah. They basically design they design the toy that they need yeah. at the moment. Yeah, so basically it's more about activity than the toy itself. The very first testing session we did was also uh, just with any trash we had lying around. It was like toilet paper rolls or yeah, anything. Like in the good old days, like mm -hmm. we make like toilet paper Yeah, pencils. exactly. <laughs> it was just, just all crafting material we had lying around. And then only afterwards when Andres and I continued the project, initially we were with five people. Uh, for Capita Selecta, then we started thinking, okay, how can we make this more accessible for also the care farm to start this activity? Yeah, and then that's how the boxes and the screws yeah. came So the, the cardboard boxes, like, is that also like, they're made with, like, yeah, from... Some kind of intention? Yeah, or? recycling kind of idea that they can use the old cardboard, for example. Yeah, definitely. So for now, yeah, this cardboard is supposedly 100% recycled, but of course this is just still a prototype and it's not a real product yet, so it's not really sustainable. All the crafting materials here are from Action, so... <laughs> Shout out to Action. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess. But yeah, we also encourage people to add their own materials. So you can yeah. add anything that you have lying around at home, but this can give you a starting point to actually do the activity. Yeah. Some kind of like open source. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Plane. We made a website also. Everything is open source. You can find the manual and you can request the files. So yeah. to do you everything can print by them yourself. yourself. You can. I don't know. Is it cut out or something? Yeah, or it's a laser it? cut. Oh, yeah. yeah. Cool. Are you afterwards going to make something like more um, like for a longer period? I mean, cardboard is not that long um, usual. 
Yeah, that's a very good question. What we actually found during the Dutch Design Week is that now, because now we design for a very specific context, where people come like, hey, why is this not just any regular crafting material for primary or elementary schools? Or why don't you do this with sick children in the hospital? Or why don't you do this with elderly people with dementia? So people come up with so many different ideas that I think that if we were to take this product further, we have to take it out of the original context and yeah. see what else can be done with it. The last fragment was recorded in Hedbergsbau. The designer we talked to is James Grunfeld. I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing your name wrong. And he designed something for visual noise. Let's hear his explanation. Yeah, because I'm reading that it's like the visual noise of cities. Yeah. You, you record on it with contact microphones. Yeah, yeah, really, really sensitive ones, yeah. Yeah, so you just like, yeah, tension, uh, material tension. So it's like, for example, under a bridge when there's like people driving over it or... Kind of, like, it's, so the object is made up of five uh, different types of construction so tensions that usually we see overlapping in everyday life so a building like a car drive by a building the moment it drives by the image you receive is this the structure of the car and the structure of the building combined yeah and so in that way these things often overlap from a human perspective as visual noise you know things layered on top of other things yeah and by scaling all the different types of construction in different ways, I could put it in a line formation and in that way use the contact microphones to find the tension in between them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like the like in a normal city, you would like have like the, the buzz of the sure. city and now it's like more layered and... Exactly. Yeah. And that layering has also become so desensitized visually, like we could see anything layered and nothing would bother us really. Yeah. And so by making it again sonic, it's a way to reconsider yeah, that layering and that yeah. like overdose of visual information. Yeah. And what do you mean by desensitize? Desensitize in the fact that if we saw, you know, very modern, say, architecture in combination with an older building, in combination with uh, a strange vehicle passing by, like we're so used to seeing strange combinations now, yeah. just from an overdose of like every street corner you see something different. That then, yeah, by taking a snippet and seeing how much tension there is between these different types of construction materials, it kind of just, I guess, lends a hand to the material side of, of the world rather than the yeah. visual. Gives a little bit peek into the smaller world, so exactly, to speak. Yeah. yeah. So, those were the four most interesting stories we found in the Test Iron Week. Um, of course, we saw a lot more and a lot more of interesting things, uh, but maybe those are for another time or you uh, could have gone yourself of course um, it's such a large event and uh, yeah we had to pick a few uh, we hope you enjoyed listening all the designers are in the show notes on spotify or youtube uh, if you perhaps went to the dust design week as well let us know what you saw and what you found interesting and uh, yeah we've we will be certainly be going next year again and uh, well maybe we'll meet you there Bye.
listeners, hemp is weed. I repeat, hemp is weed. <laughs>